Amen. Thank you, wonderful people. We can have people clap because there's people, some people here. You may notice, uh, for those who are watching online and maybe aren't familiar with our community, uh, you'll see during the worship, there's lots of like side conversations and, uh, and things like that. I mean, that's because uh, those, probably some of those songs weren't planned for the morning, but that's where the Holy Spirit leads. So we go where he leads and then you've got to try and figure out, so what are we playing? Um, but it's, uh, it's all good. You flowed so well. Thank you, team. Drums were amazing. It's awesome. Who was that guy? I couldn't even see him. We need a, we need a camera in there. That's good. Hey, so, uh, so this is, I guess we're calling it uh, Pentecost Sunday. I'm gonna, I don't know, who do, who do I look at here? Do I look at you guys or do I look at the cameras? I'm used to looking at cameras now. That's, that's the, the weirdness of this uh, last season. But uh, So uh, the actual Pentecost, 40 days from uh, resurrection, the resurrection day uh, was, uh, I think, Thursday of this past week. Uh, so we've just come to the end of a week of prayer and fasting uh, in our community, focusing in on Isaiah 58 throughout the week and then Song of Songs 8 um, yesterday. And so uh, end of the fast today, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you and amen. Yeehaw, lunchtime is not too far away. Uh, but it was different. It wasn't about so much fasting from food, but fasting, you know, the, the fast that God desires. And I spoke on that last week. You can check out that sermon and Rachel's one from before that. But uh, this is the first Sunday after Pentecost. And, uh, and we just feel like there's um, significant lots of prophetic stuff um, coming out in the prophetic community, the significance. I mean, I think there's always uh, a, a good opportunity to, um, to just focus on, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what happened there. Uh, we can do that every week uh, and, and we, we pray and hope the Holy Spirit would immerse people every single week. But uh, there is something, um, you know, just to take this moment, uh, like we do on Christmas or Easter, we always talk about the resurrection. We always talk about the coming of Jesus, um, but there's just good times to focus in on that. So I'm gonna share, uh, hopefully briefly, this morning on uh, Holy Spirit baptism. So uh, I hope you're excited for that. Three people. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm expect. I'm just imagining the live stream. Thumbs up, bloop, 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 and hearts bloop, 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 popping up the screen. You know what I'm saying? You see it. You're visualizing. Uh, Mark chapter one, verse four. Well, I'll start actually at verse seven. So Mark chapter one. This is this is uh, the coming of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist. He was a baptizer, uh, but he came and uh, and baptizing people in the River Jordan. It says verse seven. And he preached saying, so this is John the baptizer saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then we know that Jesus came uh, to the river Jordan to John and he was baptized by John in the river. And it says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If you want a, a good starting point for a theology of sonship, that's a really good point because that is Jesus having accomplished nothing in ministry uh, uh, and like literally nothing, he'd done nothing. He just rocked up to get baptized one day and the Father speaks from heaven, baptized him in the Spirit of God and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Amen. So if you think you need to perform your way into God's good pleasure, uh, think again. Uh, it's, it's his delight to call you a son. And when I say sonship, you know, I mean men and women. All right. And then he talks, uh, so this is Acts chapter one, verse four. And it says, well, this is after then the resurrection. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. But it says, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there was a promise coming from the Father, which was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? You might be asking, he is 
part of the Godhead, the third member of the Trinity, uh, not third in importance or third in significance, um, but just third, uh, we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't know why. He's, and he's completely happy being third. Uh, and this is something that I've uh, spoken to you before um, about this word ontological equality. Everyone say ontological. Ontological. Ontological equality and functional subordination is a theological concept that essentially says, so ontology is the study of personhood. And so he is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is, as, as, a, as a person, as part of the Trinity, is equal to, the God, to God, the rest of the Godhead. Equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all equal ontologically, but functionally they are subordinate to one another. So the Spirit follows Christ, Christ follows the Father, and they work together in that kind of way. Now again, this is a picture that we find in marriage. Not every marriage, but I think biblical kingdom marriage is that there is a thing called headship, and, uh, and the mouth leads and leads sacrificially and servant-heartedly and all of those sorts of things, but it doesn't mean that one is more important or there's an inequality there. Male and female are equal in the kingdom, and yet there are many ways where there is a functional subordination in a church leadership environment. I don't feel like I am better than anybody. We are all equal, and yet God establishes order functionally. And so that's how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work. So we have this, uh, this person of the Trinity that Jesus promised would come, and it was for our benefit. So what is then the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to us? We read in John 14 that He is the Spirit of truth, that Jesus said, I'm gonna send you the Spirit of truth and He will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Now again, I'm, I'm super thankful for the Bible, uh, but the Bible without the Holy Spirit uh, is, is significantly less helpful. I wanna tell you that. There's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, weird, within Christian don denominations, you know, sects and, and religious sects, S-E-C-T-S. Within the Christian religion, oh man, there it comes. Um, you know, that, that would utilize the Bible, but they're utilizing without the Spirit. Religion, all of that sort of stuff, the yucky stuff is really what comes without the Holy Spirit. So the, the Spirit of God is what is supposed to lead us into truth. Amen? Amen. And we're so thankful and He does it. He utilizes the Bible to, to lead us into truth and, and lots of other means that the Holy Spirit leads us. Romans 15, 18 talks about the Holy Spirit being power for ministry. Acts 9, 31 speaks of the Holy Spirit being there for teaching, exhortation, and comfort. So these different roles of the Spirit of God in our lives. So this is, uh, I know for me, um, obviously when I became a Christian, uh, I, I believed I, I, I guess, received the gift of salvation. The Holy Spirit came and made His home in me, and I became a child of God, and, uh, and it's wonderful and amazing, and I uh, just wanted to follow Jesus and, uh, and, and cost myself and sacrificed and, and, uh, and went on that journey and was faithful. I, I became involved in a ministry context as a youth pastor and, uh, and did that journey, and I had, you know, different times where I'd have kind of encounters with the Holy Spirit. Um, and then when we were six months in, this is a very short version of my uh, Holy Spirit testimony, six months into planting this church, um, there was a, there was this, an evening and, uh, and we were uh, together, a small group of us, and, uh, and I was prayed for, and, and I, I believe I received uh, the Holy Spirit in a new measure, what we'd call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, Baptism is the Greek word baptizo means to immerse one thing in another thing. So if you were to jump into a swimming pool, you would be baptized in water because you would be fully immersed in water. That's why when we do water baptism, we, we dunk people under the water um, because it's, it's, that's kind of what the word means. That's what it represents and that's what they did, uh, we understand, in the time of Jesus. Um, so baptism means to be fully immersed in something. So when we're water baptized, we're fully immersed in water. Right now, you're all baptized in the air. Um, and so therefore, Holy Spirit baptism is to be fully immersed in the Spirit of God, to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. We have, uh, as I read out before, an example of what water baptism was, what John the baptizer did was the baptism in water for repentance, and then we have this coming baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised. And this coming 
of the Holy Spirit, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, this immersion in the presence of God came at Pentecost. I did, I, I kind of took out of my notes just to save time, but I wanna mention that even when Jesus said, when he gave us the Great Commission, go and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we need to understand there's more to that than simply saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, there's water baptism, but essentially it's saying, I immerse you in the nature of the Godhead. Or what I like to say, part of becoming a disciple is to be immersed in Trinitarian community, to be immersed in the reality of the Father, to be immersed in the reality of the Son, to be immersed in the reality of the Holy Spirit. It's not just simply an act, and we do go through that, those waters of uh, of baptism for repentance, but then, but part of it being immersed in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a, is that's the fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus gave to us. Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, "When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of." as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first time, this moment, they're sitting there praying. They've never had an experience like this before. Never, totally new to them. Never, as far as I'm aware, in the history of the church has God ever shown up like this. They weren't even necessarily praying for it and asking for it because they didn't know what to pray and ask for. Well, they knew Jesus had promised something. He told us to wait here, so we'll be obedient to that. And yet he comes in this particular way and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And again, when it goes on, it talks about the impact on them. Again, this just wasn't something where they assumed, oh, well, I guess we, we received in a letter, this is what has happened, so therefore we must believe by faith that this is what happened. It was an experiential reality. They experienced it. They saw supernatural signs and wonders. They started speaking in other languages. They started speaking in tongues that other people could hear and understand, tongues of the nations. And other people looked at them and thought, these guys are drunk. So it literally inebriated them. They were so overwhelmed by the presence of God that they're even there, you imagine, I don't know if you've ever seen a drunk person before, slurred speech, maybe stumbling around, maybe all just kind of out of it. And uh, th so there was a, a physical manifestation of that, not even out there, but in them, they were overwhelmed by it. And I've seen lots of manifestations. I've seen lots of manifestations of demons. I've seen lots of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes there's questions that I ask, like why do people fall down when they get prayed for? But I just think, you know what, when you get so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, I just figure like people's bodies just can't handle it anymore and they just turn off. You know, it's like short circuit, boop, and, and uh, yeah, so that's, anyway, that's my theological explanation. It's deep. So the question is, well, um, can I be a Christian and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Can I be a believer? Can I be saved? All of that sort of stuff. I think yes, and I think the biblical evidence is there. Acts 19, and it says, and it happened while, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So they'd heard about Jesus, they had become believers, believers, they, that's salvation, like they had belief in their heart that Jesus was Lord, that he was risen, that he was the King of Kings. But they had not heard about this coming Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. So they went through a baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So they were believers and there was a subsequent moment where the Holy Spirit came upon them and they started having the same manifestations as what had happened at Pentecost. So the question is, does baptism of the Holy Spirit happen at the same time as salvation? It can. Sometimes it does. 
Sometimes it doesn't. I've heard of people having encounters with the Holy Spirit and they don't even know who God is. They don't even know Jesus. They can have experience with Jesus and not know who He is. They can receive salvation. Like that's just the way that God works. He does whatever He wants to. Now again, He doesn't violate His laws, but He's pretty, he's pretty free to do what He wants to do. So oftentimes in my experience, I guess personally in my life, corporately in the church, that there is a moment of salvation that people come, that they are born again. There is a genuine shift in their life. They become a new creation, absolutely. But there is oftentimes a subsequent, subsequent like infilling baptism, immersion in the Holy Spirit where things change and ramp up. And I love uh, Nicky Gumbel in the Alpha Course. He talks about it's like a, in maybe in the older, um, hot water systems where you'd have a pilot light. So there was a small flame that would burn constantly. And when you turn the water on, then the, the gas ignites even further and, and turns on the, the kind of boiler to heat up the water. And that's a big flame kind of comes. But he talks about that. It's like receiving salvation as the pilot light comes on. You're awakened, you're aware, you're ready to go. And then the Holy Spirit baptism comes and all of a sudden there is fire. Bill Johnson said, the Holy Spirit is in us for our sake and upon us for the sake of others. We cannot walk in the fullness of the call of God upon our lives without the power of God working in us and through us. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's pretty clear in His, in his words of what He spoke to His disciples. And for me, I'm like, if it was good enough for his disciples, then it's good enough for me. I didn't spend three years with Jesus. Like I am far behind the eight ball when it comes to learning about him, knowing him, understanding him. Three years, day and night with Jesus. And he says, and it's, that's not enough though for you to complete what I have for you. It's not enough for you. Knowing me, spending time with me, it's not enough for you. So how do we pursue Holy Spirit baptism? Well, sorry, sorry, not how do we. Why do we? We'll get to the how. Why do we? Step one, Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. When he was baptized in water, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him like a dove. And then all of a sudden he went into ministry. He went into, the, I mean, he went into temptation in the wilderness. So um, I, I only can hope that's not everyone's experience, but, uh, but often it is. Um, but that's what en enabled him to minister. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in his power, because he, he took off his divinity and he put on humanity, and he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we pursue Holy ba Spirit baptism? Because Jesus told us, wait for the promise of the Father. There is a promise of this baptism, I believe, for every disciple of Jesus. Does being baptized in the Holy Spirit make you a super Christian? No, uh, but it will probably make you a more supernatural Christian. It's accessing all of the power of God. The Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and again, I've, I've heard people challenge this and say, oh, you know, it's, it's that people can be proud about it or they think they're better than someone because they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, all that sort of stuff. For me, it's, it's, that's the opposite of what I think about because to pursue the baptism in the Holy Spirit and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is a declaration that I am weak and incompetent without the Holy Spirit, that I cannot do it. Paul talks to, about in Galatians 3, to the people in the church there. And it's like, who bewitched you? You started out with the Spirit and now you're trying to be perfected in the flesh. You can't do it. You've, you've stepped into, into this pride that says, I, I reckon I can figure it out on my own. So if being baptized in the Spirit makes someone proud, I think it's the same as fasting. It's like, oh, someone, they fast all the time. Oh, they think they're a super Christian. If you fast, if you have pride and you're fasting, that is so dumb. Because pride, the Bible says in, in 1 Timothy, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. 
So whatever you're hoping to achieve from fasting is gonna be null and void by the fact that you're doing it in pride. Same with the Holy Spirit. It's like it's literally saying, I, I fast because I declare I'm weak and I need you, Jesus. And you know what? I don't even desire you that much because there's things that I desire in my life. So I'm gonna pull away those things to ignite desire in my heart. I'm gonna position myself in a place, even a physical weakness, to ignite a desire in my heart to love you more, to love you better, to love you with greater measure. It's a declaration of weakness. And baptism in the Holy Spirit is a declaration of weakness. To say, I can't do it, Jesus. It's not an optional extra. It's not a maybe kind of part of the journey. For me, it's essential. It was absolutely essential for, for Jesus' disciples. It's not essential to, for, so you can you know, get to a church gathering each Sunday. It's not essential that you can, so you can pray or, or read your Bible. You don't need the Holy Spirit baptism for that. You're not gonna do it as, as well, and it's not gonna be as enjoyable. But to accomplish, when God says, I have a destiny for your life that I desire to fulfill through you, you need my Holy Spirit. You need to be immersed in the very presence of God in order to accomplish those things. So to live a life and to complete the call on your life without the Holy Spirit is to, is to select some second-rate destiny. I see people who would look at others and judge them as being spiritually proud because they are filled with the Spirit. And yet the reality is that that's one of those kind of plank eye moments where we're not seeing the speck. We're seeing the speck in them, but we're not seeing the plank in our own eye. You know, I think about that. It's like you've got this giant log and you scrape off a tiny little speck and you put in someone else's eye. Like that speck's probably come from your log. But it's actually the opposite when you think about it. I want to be all, you know, like, oh, I think you're the super Spiro person. It's like, no, I'm, I'm weak. I'm, I'm helpless without Jesus. I can't, I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Because what He's asking me to do, I can't, I, can't, I can't parent my children without the Holy Spirit. I can be present. I can be engaged. But, but surely what He calls me to is a supernatural way of living that I can't accomplish. If Jesus couldn't accomplish what the Father had for Him to accomplish, what makes me think that I can? Am I better than Jesus? Are you better than Jesus? You gotta answer the question. It's a good question to ask yourself. Do I actually think that I'm better than Jesus? Do I actually think that I'm more competent than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to fulfill what God has for my life without the Holy Spirit? called arrogance and pride, and it's deadly. Is tongues a necessary sign of being a believer? Not at all. Paul talks about in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you know, he says, you know, I, I desire that everyone would speak in tongues, but more so that you would prophesy. Which again, sometimes I've heard the argument that people say, oh, see, you know, Paul's saying we shouldn't speak in tongues in a corporate gathering, all that sort of stuff. It's like, I, I get that. But I often hear that from people who, who don't also allow the freedom of the Holy Spirit. So then my point is, well, then you better make sure that you are prophesying publicly. I'm, like, I'm totally okay. We, we very rarely have people speak out in tongues. We often have people prophesy. Often now our whole worship set is just prophetic release over the room, over the region, whatever God has to say. A daily prayer room gatherings, it's all just being led by the Holy Spirit, prophetic ministry. But if you've got no tongues and no prophecy, that's not a good sign. So tongues is not a necessary sign, but it is a sign of the Holy Spirit baptism. And for me, again, there's, there's, uh, there's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Literally, if you read through that uh, section, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all around there, and you'll see where, where Paul references the two different things, you know. Uh, uh, praying in tongues ex exhorts your personal spirit. 
Okay, so there is a, a role of praying in tongues, there's a role in speaking in tongues. And what P Paul is speaking uh, to, uh, to bring order to is to say, if someone is speaking out a tongue, so all of a sudden they get overcome by the Holy Spirit, a tongue comes on them, and they're in a corporate gathering, and they speak that out, Paul's saying, make sure there's someone there to interpret it. Otherwise, people go, I don't understand what they're saying. And it's not helpful. It's not encouraging. Is it sinful? No, it's not. It's just not helpful. So Paul's like, why don't, why don't you make it helpful? <laughs> why don't you make it? So then again, if you're in a, in a room like that and there's no one to interpret, prophesy. Speak it out. Interpret it yourself. It's just about order. But then the role of, of our prayer language, a personal prayer language that exhorts our personal spirit, that is the primary uh, gifting that I, I encourage and long for other people to have. Because again, that it builds you up. Just praying in tongues, sometimes it is. You don't know what to pray. You just pray in tongues and you're speaking out. Your, it's like your spirit crying out to God, praying to the Father. But it builds intimacy. It builds connection. So again, sometimes people will be like, oh, that person we had in the worship time. Both I heard Andrew and Rachel praying in tongues. Were they speaking in tongues? No, they're praying in tongues. Their spirit was just crying out. Rachel and Karen, sing out in tongues. It's not, it's not waiting for anyone to have an interpretation because it's just you just crying out to God. We can all do that at the same time. And no one needs to say because no one's saying anything to you. Oh, but there should be someone to interpret. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Jesus. That would be like saying to someone who, you know, who, is, who speaks Cantonese and they're having a conversation between one another and I come by and say, um, excuse me, where's the, there's, where's the interpreter? I don't understand what you're saying. It's like, because it's none of your business. We're talking to each other. Mind your own business. That's me, that's praying in tongues. It's like I'm talking to him. You don't need to know what I'm saying. You talk to him. Ask him in tongues and he might tell you, what's Brad praying about? And this is the reality, you know, there are, this was a strange experience for the disciples. It was even strange when Paul was speaking to the Gentiles and it speaks of the Holy Spirit pouring on them. This is in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Oh, Peter speaking, sorry. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And it says they were amazed, the, the believers that were with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then they go after that. So this is where they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then they go after that and they get baptized in the water. They get baptized in the name of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, Amen. So this again is one of those experiences where the Holy Spirit falls upon people, they encounter, they get immersed in the Holy Spirit and then they go and commit themselves to following the ways of Jesus. But this was not, they weren't expecting that. Up until that point, their theology was, the Holy Spirit is for the Jews. It's for, it's for God's people, it's not for the Gentiles. And they're just speaking out, this is what God is doing among the Jews and then boom, Holy Spirit pours out. So again, I'm not saying we certainly don't create our own theologies and things, but for, for those who would say that um, experience has nothing to do with, with our theological perspective, that's foolishness. I don't, I don't wanna have a life with Jesus that doesn't involve experience of the reality of what he's saying. Otherwise, it's, it is literally theoretical. It's not theological, it's theoretical. We're supposed to be an experiential people. Now, if my experience uh, contradicts something in the Scripture, maybe on the surface level, it might. It might be completely wrong, okay? So you're not gonna create a theology, but you might find that sometimes, that was me, I, I was not a proponent of Holy Spirit baptism. I was like, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know, I guess I never really had a theology on it. I just never spent the time because it wasn't really a subject that came up in my church life experience, and so never really had to, question it or talk about it. And then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, I probably need to figure out a theology on this. But then scriptures that I'd read previously were like, oh, that's what it's talking about. I know that, that's what you're talking about, Jesus. I remember someone and uh, uh, a friend and I uh, prayed for them and he was uh, from, a, from an Anglican background, but 
I'm not saying this is Anglican theology, but his theological perspective was was um, not, you know, Holy Spirit, it's not, doesn't work today. Essentially what they call cessationists. He just didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, anything like that. Father, Son, that's all I need. And, uh, and, and we were just praying. He was going through a hard time. We pray, Holy Spirit started leading some stuff. He got delivered uh, from some demonic stuff, healed from some trauma. He got wiped out on the floor and uh, Holy Spirit came upon him in power. And he came up out of that time and I said, how's your theology of Holy Spirit going? <laughs> and he said, it's, yeah, it's, it's changed. Um, but that was an experience and you go that experience and it lines up. That's what that, the disciples were doing here. That's what Peter was saying. It's like, uh, okay, hold on a second. Um, our, literally our whole, the whole mission of our life is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the Jews and then here he is pouring it out on the Gentiles. Oh, wow, we've got we to question what we believe here because all of a sudden things are different. That's all. Uh, Paul's ministry then becomes, he, he takes on that ministry to the Gentiles and he speaks of it in Ephesians 3 where this, this shift had come where we thought it was all the promises were for the Jews but it's actually for all the nations. You can read about that in the Bible. Acts 11.15 says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Again, theological perspective challenged and shifted because of an experience that they associated with a, a previous experience. Say, so, well, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Bang, that happens there. We have the same experience. So again, if someone was to challenge you and to say, oh, well, that was for then. That was for Pentecost. That was for those people in that moment at that time. Well, why did it carry on then? I don't know when in the timeline of history this particular moment was in Acts 11. It certainly wasn't the day after. Same experience then. So it keeps going on. It happens in this moment. It happens then with the Gentiles. It, it keeps carrying on this same experience, this same Pentecost outpouring. And the fact is the reason that signs are strange to us is because they come from the heavenly realm. God is okay with offending our natural minds. Humanity likes things to be manageable and understandable. Let, let God fit into my box, please. And I'm just gonna ignore everything that's outside of my box. Just let him fit. Can you just fit into my box, God? And he says, no, I'm too big to fit into your box. So whenever a manifestation confronts us, we have the choice to be offended or intrigued. Intrigue will lead us to life. Offense will lead us to death. Now again, when you see a manifestation, and someone might even think it's the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying every manifestation, every time someone does something weird and wacky and wonderful that, that it's the Holy Spirit. That's what discernment comes from. But if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're not operating prophetically in discernment, then can I encourage you not to assume that your discernment is accurate. Sometimes judgment masquerades as discernment. So oh, I'm not, I'm, that makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, it must not be Holy Spirit. No, you just need the comforter so you feel comfortable when he does weird things. Proverbs 8, 17 talks about God, you know, he, he rewards those who seek him. Like there's a, there's, a, there's a discovering in the process with God. He's okay to, to cause things to happen that create an intrigue in you that you want to go after. I have to say, if it's, if it's the Holy Spirit, the fruit will be good. If you see something happening and you say, I'm not sure that's the Holy Spirit, well, you look for the fruit. And if it isn't Holy Spirit, then either it's the person making it up, they just have a, have a mental health issue, or it's a demon. But if you're looking at that saying, oh, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit, I think that's a demon, then go in and rebuke that sucker and command it to go. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did. Don't stand in judgment. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, I don't know about that. Mm, it doesn't seem like Holy Spirit to me. 
if then, it's, it, then it might be a demon. So go and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and cast that sucker out. Because you have authority, you have power, because he's come upon you in power. Or you can just be a scoffing spectator. Only a God that is made in your image will be completely inoffensive to you. That's called idolatry. Idolatry, it's, it's sinful. You're made in God's image. He's not made in, in ours. You know, there were signs of the presence of God in the Bible that were never written about before they were experienced. The Bible even talks about signs and wonders. Jesus did many signs and wonders. It doesn't list them. So we can interrogate and go, mm, not on the list. It just says he did signs and wonders. What did he do? Who knows? Maybe he peeled a banana without touching it. I don't know. I don't know. Like Jesus party tricks. How do we receive Holy Spirit baptism? We ask for it. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And if you're if you're if you're like, ah, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not too sure. I don't know if it measures up with my theology or whatever. Just be aware that there could be spiritual pride, like pride in your heart. So the first step then would be to repent. If you don't desire more of the Holy Spirit, if you don't desire the power of God in your life, if you don't desire what Jesus laid out, and then maybe you say, oh, I don't know, but maybe I have been, and I'm just not sure. In my experience, I knew. I knew when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was very clear. It was very apparent to me what had happened. My countenance literally changed. My eyes changed. People people who didn't even, don't even know Jesus, my non-Christian neighbor was like, have you like have you, have you done have you had a haircut or did you dye your hair or something? And like, nope. And I, I didn't know what they were saying, but then people were like, yeah, you've changed. Like you literally look different. So we ask for it and we come in humility, in desperation, saying, I need your Holy Spirit. And again, uh, for me, I'm like, I just want to ask all the time. I've heard it said, I don't know who, who the quotes from, but it talks about, you know, why do we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? And the answer is because we leak, and, uh, and we do. Uh, there's been times where I've operated powerfully in the, in the Holy Spirit, and then there's seasons where I don't. And some of that is because my attention shifts away from that. Maybe I get tired, I get distracted, I get stuck in sin, I'm just caught up in other things in life, whatever the reason is. And sometimes, so I need to tune in and say, I, I, I need a fresh outpouring, I need a fresh infilling Holy Spirit. Because all of a sudden I've, I've turned away from reliance upon your power and I've stepped into reliance upon myself. Man, one of the biggest dangers, particularly in ministry, is to become good at what you do. Anything in the Christian life, the, one of the huge dangers is to be good, become good at being a Christian. Because all you've done is step into self-reliance. You stepped into self. You've become like someone in the Galatian church. Started out by the Holy Spirit. Now you think, well, now I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it on my own. Again, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the heart journey and prayer ministry. Prayer ministry is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. Someone helping you to encounter the presence of God. But prayer ministry without the Holy Spirit is completely useless. I know, you know, we've all, uh, uh, in our church, we've had uh, Sandra Selma Kirsten with us a couple of times, and I remember her even sharing now, after many, many, many years of being trained by the founders of Elijah House and then doing prayer ministry for, for many, many, many years, and she still says, every time I come in, and it's almost a choice to put yourself in that place of saying, I wanna come in like I don't, know anything, that the, the, 
the tools are there, but I'm just gonna listen and we're gonna lean into Holy Spirit. We're gonna ask Him and He's gonna lead the way. Don't ever desire to be a professional Christian. Desire to be a dependent Christian, fully dependent. Because whatever, whatever measure you become good at, God's at, God's at next level. It's like, why have you stopped there? Well, you stopped there because that's all that you can accomplish. Well, congratulations. Well done. Pat on the back. You didn't even accomplish that yourself. It was all me. So come on, move on. There's more for you. There's no plateaus in the kingdom. It's a mountain. And the only way up is with the Sherpa. So we need to ask for it. But then also we invite people to lay hands on us and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 14. It says, Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is another example of a people who had said yes to Jesus and hadn't been baptized. It says, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's very simple and yet not formulaic because the Holy Spirit does what He wants. Um, I've seen, I've, I've prayed for people. It's happened an instant. I've been in environments where no one's prayed for anyone. To someone sitting there and all of a sudden they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was, I had hands laid on me. I'm not saying, again, there's a formula, but this is what the Bible talks about. That was their experience. So we say, well, that's what they did. So we're gonna do the same. But there has to be a desire for it. There has to be a longing and a hunger. And oftentimes I think what gets in the way is pride because we become self-reliant. We think that I'm, I'm okay as I am. You're not, because you're not who God, you're not the full manifestation of who God has called you to be. You're not the full manifestation of His character, of His nature, of His righteousness. You're not accomplishing things in the way that He would desire you to accomplish them. And there's no shame in that. He doesn't condemn you, but He says, I have an answer for you. I made every way possible. So it wasn't even that Jesus said, hey, look, just I'm gonna accomplish what I need to do on the cross. Okay, after that, you guys will be sweet. Just go about your day. He said, no, no, no. So I've done all that I've done. My work is finished, okay? Your work is about to begin and it cannot begin until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I feel for those who have asked for it, have prayed for it, have put themselves in those positions for a long time and not experience what they desire to experience or what they expect to experience. I know for me, it was after I had this baptism experience, I, the hunger in me ignited to a whole new level. All of a sudden, I started seeing prophetically in prayer. I started um, having you know, physical experience of the Holy Spirit, like in worship or in times of prayer. But I also chose to go wherever I could see the Holy Spirit moving. So we jumped on a plane, we flew to uh, Melbourne, like just for two nights to a Bill Johnson conference, because the, the Holy Spirit was moving at these, at these conferences. So I think, I'm like, I'm just gonna get up there and get this dude to lay hands on me. I hardly knew him. Well, I didn't know him at all. But you know, I didn't even, hardly even knew about him. I just know that's, Holy Spirit's moving. That's where I gotta be. And so I go through the thing and I'm waiting like, wipe me out, Holy Spirit. And then nothing. Ah, oh, spewing. So the next conference, Randy Clark comes to town. Boom, I'm there. Four day conference, healing and, and deliverance and transformation conference, I'm there, boom, every day. Every opportunity for prayer, I'm up there. Wipe me out, Holy Spirit. Land me and, and nothing. But every time I'm like, I know you're depositing stuff, Holy Spirit. So there's a faith journey in this, but I want, I want to be that person just totally wiped out, smashed by the Holy Spirit. Let me be that person. 
I just think of all the jobs I wouldn't have to do because I'd just be wiped out on the floor. Sorry, drunk in the spirit, can't help you. But like to have that real encounter with God, to live in that place of real encounter, genuine experiential engagement with God where you, you, you no longer question whether God's real because you know He is, because you, you're living in ex, an experience of Him. He longs for more for His people. He longs to have intimate fellowship. And for me, it's almost like the Spirit in me and the Spirit upon me is this amazing Holy Spirit sandwich. And I'm just the meat in the middle, getting to enjoy being crushed together between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying silly things now. We're gonna pray. For those who are with us, when you stand up, lay hands on one another. If you are watching this at home, um, you're, if you're with family and friends, just uh, want you just lay hands on one another from a distance. Okay, I'm gonna tell you to go against social distancing or anything, but um, yeah. If you're alone watching this, just put your hand on your heart, put your hand on your, on your, on your gut. You join me in prayer. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to first expose, reveal any area of pride in our hearts that would prevent you from having your way. Father, we repent for the pride of self-reliance, for the pride of performance, Lord, of self-righteousness, of judging ourselves as not needing You, Holy Spirit. Father, I bind up that spirit of witchcraft that Paul spoke of in the church in Galatia, who has bewitched You. Father, we bind up that spirit of witchcraft, Lord, that anti-Christ spirit, that anti-anointing spirit would be bound and broken and you would be loosed right now in Jesus' name in the authority of Christ that you would be loosed from the power of that spirit of witchcraft. Release you, that spirit of pride come off you and come out of you. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you come in power, Lord? Fill every void, God fill every void, that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would release salvation on those who are yet to be saved, God. But Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit, Lord, in power, your power would come, your presence would come, Holy Spirit, and you would immerse your people, Lord. Every person listening would be immersed in your presence, in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that you would stir up hunger in our hearts, God, that would say, we need you, Holy Spirit, that we would come before you in humility and say, God, just getting through my day, I can't even get through my day, but you want me to go and, and, and do ministry and go this place and that, Lord, I, I struggle to get out of bed. So I, I need you, Holy Spirit, even just to get out of bed. I need your strength, I need your power to get through the day, Lord. I need your strength, I need your power to get through the week, God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, as you come in power, Lord, that ailments will shift and ailments will lift in Jesus' name, God. Sickness will lift in Jesus' name, God. Mental health will shift and will lift in Jesus' name as the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Lord. That dark cloud will lift. That dark cloud will lift in Jesus' name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, when you come, other things go. When your power comes, Lord, weakness flees. Lord, where we have become good at being a Christian, God, we pray that you would smash that idol of goodness, Lord. You would smash that idol of false humility, God. You would smash that idol of, of sweet, nice Christianity, God. And we'd say we need your fire, Holy Spirit, to come and consume us, God. Come and consume our pride with your power, Lord. Come and consume our pride with your presence, Lord. 
because we are weak without your Holy Spirit. We need you, God. We need your power. We need you to renew our minds, God. We need you to transform our hearts, Lord. We need to be filled by you to overflowing, God. Nothing that you ask of us can be accomplished without your Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. And by faith, we receive you. But we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself as you did on the day of Pentecost, as you did it many, many other times, and still you do today, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a manifestation, Lord, that we would feel you, God. May we would feel warmth rush through us or electricity rush through our body, Lord, that we would fall over, God. We'd feel the weight of your glory come upon us, God. Lord, that you would release that gift, our prayer language, Lord, that we would speak out in tongues, Lord, and when we pray, that you would give us signs and pictures in our minds that we would prophesy, God, that you would speak to us in new ways, dreams and visions, Lord. Pathways to intimacy, Lord. I pray pathways to intimacy, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We receive you, Lord. We receive all that you have for us, God. And we come in agreement today and we just say, pour out your spirit upon your church, Lord. Every denomination, Lord. Every theological perspective, Lord. Pour out your spirit, God. Father, you did it in the Bible when there was an agreement, Lord. The Gentiles weren't crying out for the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know who you were. And you poured out your presence, Lord. Father, let this be a generation that experiences your presence, God, and then happens to bump into a Christian and that person would explain, this is what just happened to you. This generation needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your church needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we say, come, come Holy Spirit. receive you, Lord. We receive all that you have for us. We bless you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you would come to us and you would keep on coming, that you'd pour out your spirit and you'd keep on pouring it out. You're so good to us, Jesus. So good to us. We love you. Amen. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you. I just pray radical encounters over you uh, this week. Just new experiences with the Holy Spirit, going in deeper intimacy with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I bless you. Bye-bye.